So I'm very happy to be here with you. I have known Shaila for many years, and I'm very happy that she's uh, your teacher here. And uh, I've, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. So tonight, I thought I would like to talk about meditation for life. And in a way, it's different aspect. And first, in a way, the aspect of meditation in terms of all our life. And in a way, to be careful not to see the meditation as a special exotic activity. That, you know, we do meditation because we want to get something very definite, and then we get it, and then we move on and possibly take a basketball or something else. But it's more to see that, in a way, we're trying to really cultivate something here. Because sometimes I feel that when people do meditation, Often there is this kind of idea of maybe experiencing some meditative state of being quiet or clear or maybe mystical experience or feeling really a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. But to me, the most important aspect of the practice is more this de-grasping effect. The fact that the meditation helps us to release. And at the same time, I would say that the meditation is food for our organism, food for our being, food for our spirit. And at that level, it is not very special. Because I think in a way we have to feed our body three times a day. And when you eat, you don't think, wow, I'm going to eat. This is really good. I mean, unless it's a really good meal, generally you eat, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner, and then you move on. You know, and you kind of, you know, it's just to feed yourself. And I think the meditation is the same. When we meditate, it's really to feed our being. It's really not so special. It's not so exotic. And the way I would compare it to is to brushing our teeth in the morning. Every day we brush, I think, our teeth in the morning. And, you know, we need to do it, and it's good to do it. And we generally don't go, oh, This was such an amazing brushing of teeth. I must tell all my friends about it. (laughs) We just do it because it's good to do it. And I think it's the same with the meditation. It's not so special. It's just, in a way, a way to nourish, to nurture this organism. And so in the meditation, you have, it's a different aspect. It's multifaceted. The aspect of learning, learning about meditation, but also learning about ourselves, learning how we relate to the world, opening, because often we're very close, we're very fixed, we're very tight. So I feel the meditation is really helping us to open and also to let go. And so I would say it is a lifelong journey. And so we, we meditate over many years, Because, in a way, there is always something to cultivate, always something to develop. And so at that level, there is no place we will arrive at. And in a way, the more we meditate, the more we kind of, in a way, discover some kind of blind, kind of uh, hidden corner within ourselves that we don't really see. And then slowly, the meditation helps us to see that too. I remember I used to to go to teach in Sweden regularly. 
And there was this uh, woman I would meet often, and she generally was very keen in meditation. She really liked it and everything. And one year I said, how is it? And she said, meditation? Really kind of meditation? Well, it's okay. You know, well, I do meditation. You know, I mean, my friends, they do basketball. I do meditation. You know, it's about that level. You know, it's really, you know, I don't expect much from it. And so I thought there was some problem here. So I said, you know, what's the matter? What happened? And she said, I went, you know, I have this great teacher. I respect a lot. And I wanted, you know, I really looked up to him. And finally, I went to spend some time with him, you know, in India. You know, and it was so great. I could go there and be at his feet. And it was fantastic. And something happened. And I was so upset. And so I go to see him, and you know, and I have this suffering, and I'm upset, and there is some great difficulty. And I ask him to help me. And he says, let it go. And she, did, she thought it was so uncompassionate, because she really had problem. And just to say, let, let it go, did not work whatsoever. She could not let go at that moment. No way. And though she felt he was really unfeeling, really uncompassionate. And then she thought, meditation does not work because it does not make one compassionate. Well, I think it did not make that teacher compassionate in that moment. And that maybe he had to work on his relationship skill. (laughs) He might be a great teacher and give good talks, but possibly he was not very psychologically astute. That's the way I would read it. So in a way, we have to see that, you know, even the spiritual teacher, I mean, the meditative teacher is trying also his or her best, but they also have to work on developing different aspects of themselves. In Korea, one of my main teachers was Master Kuzan, and he was reputed to have had three awakenings I mean, you might think one was enough, but he got three. He got three. And I used to travel with him. And I was always impressed because he really exemplified actually letting go. He really kind of, he was, he had a a presence and he was about in life without grasping, without fixing. And I remember once I was traveling with him and we found ourselves in Germany, in Hamburg, in the train station at midnight. And it's not a fantastic place, at midnight, waiting for a bus, and there was no place to sit. It was filled with people, no place to sit, and because I was the attendant of my teacher, I want him to have a nice place to sit, to be comfortable. We had to wait for about an hour. And so I was kind of running around like a headless chicken, and finding to find a seat. And then he said to me, but what's the matter with you? What's, you know, you're going around like agitated. What's the matter? I said, I'm looking for a place for you to sit. He said, we can just stand. It's just fine to stand. I am okay. You are okay. Just stand. And so in a way, he did not expect, because he was a great Zen master, to have a throne or to be anything special. No, no, he could just stand there and wait like everybody else. And so for me, it was a great lesson. Then, in meditation for life, you have to recognize and appreciate life in this moment and to be more in it. 
And I think this is why the meditation on the breath can be helpful. To just be aware of the breath. Actually, to also be aware of our life in this moment. Our potential for life in this moment. Because often, we take our life for granted. We really kind of think, oh, I am alive, it's fine, you know, I can do whatever I want in whatever way. And one of the things which is interesting in connection to that is that often we don't find the time to meditate. You know, often I hear the people say, well, I can't really find the time to meditate because, you know, this, that, and another. But what is interesting is that most people find the time to watch TV, And there is not much difference between watching TV and watching television. You know, television, you see outside television. Meditation, you see inside television. It's just a different channel, more like a personal channel. And in a way, to, to, to really kind of like see, oh yeah, the meditation, I could meditate now. It doesn't have to be for hours, but really to take the opportunity to be alive, to be aware. And in a way to see that often there is this frustration, this desire to be somewhere else, to be someone else. And I feel the meditation helps us to accept our condition. It kind of, in a way, help us to see there is nowhere else to go. There is no one else to be. And we just learn to be with our conditions, but in a creative way. And I remember once I was uh, a few years ago when my grandmother was still alive, but she was getting a little old and a little uh, weak. And I used to play domino with her to keep her company. Then my mother could go and do something else. So we would play domino. And this was in autumn. And in the autumn, we have a little patio, and then the leaves fall on the patio, on the on the on the, the space. And so we are playing domino, and then my grandmother hated leaves in the autumn. This was a bad thing. <laughs> it was very dangerous. She did not want any leaves. So then I could see her. We would play, and then she would look and see two leaves have fallen on the patio. So she would try to get up. She could not do it. So I said, stay here. I will sweep the leaves. I will get up, sweep the leaves, back to the domino. Then she would see three. So get up, sweep, back to the domino. Third time, four. So I go. And as I'm sweeping the leaves, I'm sweeping the leaves, I'm thinking, God, this is not very heroic, you know, playing domino and sweeping leaves. And then suddenly, I realize there is nothing else to do. And there is nothing else to be but play domino and just sweep leaves the whole afternoon. Nothing else is required. And what was interesting, it was a feeling of really great peace. Such a peace. To just accept the moment as it was, fully. Just to accompany the moment instead of fighting with it, instead of wanting it to be different. And so I would say that the meditation, in a way, helps us to become ordinary in a creative way. When I was young, I wanted to be special. 
I really wanted to be special. This was one of my complex. You know, I had to be special, heroic. And so I wanted to save the world and things like that. And then I really became special because I was a Korean Zen nun, French, Korean Zen nun. And in those days, there was only one, me. (laughs) So I was one among 60 million Koreans and one among 60 million French people, one among 20 million, that special. That was really my kind of, you know, top, top special state. And then I stopped being a nun. And I became an ordinary person. And I was walking in France, and I felt strange. I felt, I feel strange. And I thought, why do I feel strange? And I realized nobody was looking at me special. Because I just had ordinary clothes, ordinary hair. I really was not different from anybody. And then I felt a liberation because I was not special whatsoever anymore and I could become ordinary and really enjoy that. I did not have to kind of stress myself about being special. I could just, you know, enjoy being an ordinary human being, doing the best I could within my conditions. And also this meditation for lies, it to me, faith in our potential in this life. So the meditation is about cultivation, training, experimenting, and to see that we have the potential as human beings to be negative or positive, to be skillful or unskillful, to be wholesome or unwholesome. And I would say that meditation is a cultivation of the potential for the positive, for what is wholesome, for what is skillful. First, it helps us to develop calm so that there is space around circumstances and conditions. And so then we learn to respond instead of react. Also, we develop openness, openness so that we can engage with ourselves, with the world, with others. And so I think we have to be very careful that we don't use a meditation to separate ourselves from others, but that the meditation actually helps us to be more in the world, more creatively aware, creatively compassionate in the world. Once we were in uh, Korea, and we had this German monk who came to practice with us. And the reason he came to practice with us is because in Korea it's very communal. You all do things, everything together. You sit together, you sleep together, you eat together. Everything is done together. And he had been training in Thailand. And in Thailand, he would achieve great meditative states by going to meditate in a little island with a dog. Just him and the dog, and the dog was very nice. And so he had wonderful time. And then he would come back to the monastery on the mainland, and within a day, he would get into argument. Then he would go back to the island, very peaceful state, dogs fantastic, back to the monastery, argument. And so he thought, there is a problem with my practice, you know. So he decided, if I go to Korea, I really kind of, you know, should be able to work with this difficulty I have. So he came. And it did not change very much. 
But for me, it was a great lesson. Because as a French person, I used to be argumentative. You know, any argument, I was there for it. You know, you want to argue? Let's go. And so he used to come, and within two minutes, we used to have an argument. And so it happened once, it happened twice, and I, it was not pleasant. It really left a bad taste in my mouth. So then I decided to be aware of what would happen when he came. And then I saw he would come for tea, and then very quickly he would kind of like try to pick an argument, to say, but you know, what about that? And then I decided to creatively engage. And so he would say, what about that? And I would say, hmm, possibly, yeah, you could have a point, yeah, hmm. And I would not kind of take the bait. And then he stopped coming. It was not fun. <laughs> but I learned something. How not to pick an argument. Very useful. And then brightness. Also the meditation helps us to develop brightness, to develop creativity, to develop responsiveness. And so how does that work? I think it's very important to see. That's why to me, meditation is not kind of like an exotic, special thing. But it's just, it's kind of like something we do, something we cultivate, which has a certain effect. And because it's a certain process. So meditation is first, it's about concentration, focusing on an object. So we can focus on the breath, on the body, on sensation, on sound. I mean, many different things we can focus in the experience. And that will help us to be more calm, to be more spacious. That's what actually the meditation is efficacious. And the way it works, it's not magical. The way it works is that you try to focus on the breath. But then you might have noticed, you go away, don't you? You have a thought of this, you have a thought of that, off you go. But because you have this intention to be aware, you come back. And this is sati. Mindfulness also means remembering, recollection. So you come back. Then you go off again, but you come back again. And... What is important in meditation is not so much to, to hold on the breath for dear life, but to come back to the breath, come back to the breath. You have a thousand thoughts. You have a thousand times the opportunity to come back. And as you come back, two things happen. The first one is that you don't feed the habit. For example, the mental habit, you don't feed it because you go a little and not so far, then you come back. And then you dissolve the power of the habit. So then, for example, with mental habit, it will come back to its creative functioning. You want to plan, you plan. You don't need to do it, you don't. Because when you sit in meditation, notice, what is it you think? What is it that distracts you? I would bet you a thousand dollars that actually, most of your thoughts are repetitive. You have thought them before. They're rarely original. We rarely have a new thought. I mean, we do have them sometimes. But a lot of the time, it's fairly repetitive. You plan, you plan about 50 times. You know, we kind of repeat. 
And so in a way, the meditation, the concentration helps us not to feed the habit. And then we can come back to the creative functioning. And so in a way, the meditation first helps us to see the habit, then not to, in a way, feed it and then dissolve its power. And then you come back to the ordinary function of body, of mind, of heart. Let me give you an example. For example, you, can, you could have a tendency to ruminate. This is generally the way it starts. You are fine. You watch your breath. You are fine. And suddenly, you have a thought. Two years ago, or a month ago, he or she said this. How could they say this? But really, it was so hurtful. I would never do this. And they did this. And it was so terrible. It's awful. And then you start to feel awful. When a minute before you were totally fine. You know? And then you go on. This was so awful. Really, it was awful. And you go round and round and round. And then generally, you jump into the future. And then you plot revenge. Very compassionate, you know? That you kind of, you know, they're going to say this, I'll say that, and I'll get them. And in a way, to see the meditation, the concentration, by not feeding the rumination, that it be about the past or about the future, by not feeding it, in a way, helps us to be here and now. Here and now, the person is not here. Here and now, the only thing we can do is cultivate ourselves, cultivate the awareness, cultivate the stability and the openness so that when we meet that person, we can creatively respond because generally they will not say what we plan for them to say because they will say something else. So in a way, to see that, the only thing is to be here and now. And the meditation really is a gift of the present. What is going on now? Or we might, in a way, uh, have a tendency to be angry. And so you know, kind of, you, you feel, there is this feeling of anger. And in a way, generally, we would feed it. I am angry. I have a good reason to be angry. You know, I am right. They are wrong. And then, in a way, through the, the concentration, instead of kind of going into the story of it, we kind of experience it. And we see that actually anger is generally kind of exa- exaggerate. With anger, we exaggerate and we proliferate. And in a way, if we don't do this, we come back to, yes, what is wrong? Is something is wrong, how can I creatively engage with that? But we really, what is going on? Not this kind of exaggeration where, you know, you then go into aggressive person really too much. But there is a problem. How can I deal with it? So, you know, it's kind of like bring us back. The concentration bring us back to more. What is happening? How can I be with that? Then you have experiential investigation, looking deeply. That's the other aspect of meditation which is very vital. So the concentration helps us to be quiet, to be spacious, to really be more here and less over there in abstraction, more what is going on here. 
And then the experiential investigation is to penetrate in the experience now. And it helps us to develop clarity and creativity. And they say it's like a kind of a coil in a dark room. You're in a dark room, and in a corner you see a coil. And you think, ah, a snake. And you're very frightened. Then you put the light on, and you see it's just a coil of rope. So in a way, it's just kind of like the brightness. If we're dark, if we don't see things, then things don't appear clearly. But if there is light, then we can see clearly what is going on, what is happening. And so there, with the experiential questioning, is to really see the changing nature, to really see that things change. I would say even in your 30 minutes of meditation this evening, you were not just kind of totally fixed, immobile. Things change. Time to time, you were with the breath. Time to time, you were thinking of this or feeling that or having that sensation, but they were not there the whole time. They were arising and passing away. And our trouble is that generally we permanentize. Something happened, it's always like this. It will always be like this. And so we kind of really fix, we add something to the experience. I remember when I learned to drive, kind of quite late in life, when I was uh, 32, and it was not easy, but finally I got it, I got my driving license, and then I got into trouble because in those days you could uh, lock the keys in the car. And so I phoned my husband and I said, I have locked the keys in the car. Okay, he comes with the other set of key. Second time, he comes with a set of key. Third time, he said, you always lock your keys in the car. And I had this vision. Forever after, every day, every week, every month, every year, I was going to lock the keys in the car. And I thought, well, you know, we're going to a divorce here quickly. It's not going to work. And then I thought, no, 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 I don't always do it. I do it time to time. <laughs> and I thought, when do I do it? What are the conditions that give rise to that? And I realized that it was when I was parking in a tight spot. So it was so complicated by the end. I was so stressed. I could not think straight. So then, whenever I had a parking in a tight spot, I would go for the key first. And then it did not happen to me anymore, ever again. And then my husband started to do it. <laughs> so in a way, is to see the, the, the looking deeply, the kind of the exploration is not intellectual. It's not abstract. But it's going to see that things change. When you have a funny feeling, you have a funny feeling, how long does it last? Instead of kind of, oh, I have this feeling, this is awful, this is terrible. You go inside the feeling. How long does it last? In the, in the spring, I'm a gardener. So in the spring, I went to a shop to buy lots of flowers for my mother and I. And I got a little into difficulty with the lady at the counter. There was a little misunderstanding. I was not bright enough, I did not get it, and she kind of looked at me like, is she stupid or something? You know, and she was not so happy with me. And so I felt, ah, you know, I made a mistake. 
I look stupid. And, you know, and so it did not feel fun. But I thought, how long is this going to last? I was very interested. How long is this funny, upset feeling going to last? And actually, and so I did not go into, she was awful, and I was stupid, and I'll never go to this shop again, you know. I, I just thought, how long is this feeling to last? And it lasted for about two hours, as it was. Then whenever I thought about it, I would feel it again. And then within a day, it was gone. And so it's very interesting to see how does it, it doesn't mean you, you know, cannot creatively engage with the situation, but how long does this last? Or in a way to think, you know, looking at the conditions, is it a good idea to say this or not? So being very aware, what am I saying? How am I saying it? Recently I read a book and there is this, the guy who wrote it is a meditation teacher. And he's very clever. He's really funny. It's really, the writing is so funny, so clever. It's quite wonderful. And so he was describing how he was in the car with his wife. And they were having a kind of a, one of these moments where things were not kind of going too harmoniously. And she said something. And then he thought of such a wonderful, clever, cutting, really amazing creative uh, kind of rejoinder, you know, kind of she said this and he said that and it was so, it was really good very clever, kind of playing a word really good and he thought, uh uh this is not a good idea however clever it is however beautiful it would be it's not going to help the situation it's really not going to lead to harmony, so he did not say it, it went so in a way, I feel that the meditation in terms of the explore, uh, experiential inquiry helps us to give us choices. Instead of being stuck, it starts to make us see, hmm, should I do this? Or could I do it differently? I feel this. Could I be with this differently? So it starts to give us more choices. So then we have more of a creative response instead of this, automatic reaction. And together, the concentration and the experiential investigation help us to develop quietness and clarity. And that becomes creative awareness. And the creative awareness that we take into daily life. To me, this is what is very essential about the meditation. It is not just about sitting or walking in meditation, but we're developing something which we then can use. For example, at work, to bring creative awareness at work. How do I work? And often we work and we are ahead of ourselves. We're not even finished what we're doing, that we, we barely starting, we're already next activity. Then we get to the next activity, we're already the next one. And so we kind of feel rushed and we feel agitated. Instead of bringing the meditation and being really present to what you do. And when it's finished, you leave it and you go to the next one. When you're finished, again to the next one. So that you're really present to it. And also, in a way, when you go for a walk, this is an interesting one. When you go for a walk in nature, 
I mean, you're going for a walk to be in nature, to breathe the fresh air, to really be there in nature. Like, for example, here, it's beautiful. You can walk in pond trees. You can walk near the mavericks. You can walk, you know, you have the sea. You know, it's beautiful. But look, you walk along the sea. And what do you do? You think about the office. And when you think about the office, you really don't see the beauty of the sea. You are somewhere else. And then it's interesting to use creative awareness to come back. And then you start to see things differently. Things like seems to be more blue or more green. But not because the creative awareness is magic, but because it takes away the abstraction, the being somewhere else. And by being fully here, then we see things more clearly. Or in relationship. You know, I think also creative awareness in relationship. How are we in relationship? That it be with a partner or that it be with a child or in family or with a friend. Are we with the person we relate to as they are or are we with as we want them to be? It's kind of, you know, what do we do? And how do we often uh, have this kind of abstraction? We have kind of this feeling that the person can read our mind. I was working in the garden in France, and it was so hot. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a glass of water? Wouldn't it be nice if my husband brought me a glass of water? (laughs) If he loved me, he would bring me a glass of water. And then he comes without glass of water. And so I mention it. And then now he always brings me a glass of water. But it's kind of like, in a way, what is it? Are we seeing the person as they are or are we what we imagine it to be? I think it's very important. And in a way, to, to, to see if we accept the person if we're really creatively aware in the relationship and we really accept the person, then I think the relationship can be so different. We can then work creatively with the difficulty instead of starting from, I love you, but you have to change this. I mean, then you don't feel really accepted. But if you're really accepted, and then you can say, well, there is a little difficulty here, then you can work on it. With my husband, we have very different mode of traveling. We often, I mean, we're in airports a lot, and we get a little stressed. And then if we're stressed in airport, I go faster, he goes slower. And I thought he did it on purpose, to annoy me, until I realized it was a mode of survival. When I have problem, I go faster. When he has problem, he goes slower. So now when we have stressed, we look at each other and we come in the middle way. Not too fast, not too slow. And we try to play with it. So in a way, to see the meditation that we are developing, to, to see we're developing this creative awareness. And so how can we take it into our daily life? The way we listen, the way we talk, the way we work, the way we relate. And so I really encourage you to Explore that dimension. That's what I wanted to say today. Uh, do we have uh, time for questions or comments? Or yes. Um, I noticed that the 
you, you refer to asking questions That's a specific technique. You see, personally, I think that in Buddhist meditation, generally you have samatha, concentration, and vipassana, which is looking deeply, experiential investigation. And this, in different traditions, is done in different ways. In the Theravada tradition, you have awareness practice, where you focus on the breath, and then you look into the experience. That's one way to do samatha and vipassana. In the Korean Zen tradition, where I trained for 10 years, then there the samatha and the vipassana was in the fact that we asked a question, a specific question, and we just sat there endlessly asking, what is this? What is this? What is this? That's all we did. At that level, it's very simple, very simple practice. But at the beginning, it's a little difficult because you, you generally answers. You know, you ask a question, you want an answer. <laughs> but this is not about answering. This is not a, a, a practice of answering. This is a practice of questioning. So in a way, the words of the question are just there to develop a sensation of questioning. So then the, imp- and, and it's actually like nearly like a, it's a bodily sensation of questioning. And so the idea is over time, you become more like a question mark. Your whole being becomes a question mark. But a stable question mark. This is very important. It's not kind of like, you know, the question is not about the, the, the meaning of the universe. It's really within the sweet training of ethics, meditation, and wisdom. That's kind of the ground. And within that ground, you ask, what is this? What is this? And actually what is interesting is that that practice generally keeps you quite bright and also as a, a, a advantage of kind of really working with flexibility. You become more fluid and flexible. But again, in the Theravada practice, you would do it in another way. It's just another way to meditate. Yes? What I feel sometimes happens to me is that awareness happens too late. In other words, even though I strive to be aware There are moments when, despite my best intentions, best efforts, best advanced planning to be present and mindful, it all goes down the tube and comes back only 15 seconds later, which is when I start kicking myself. Well, there is two ways to look at this. One way is to see that it's a cultivation over time. So it will take time. And so you might see that for certain things, actually, you're better than you used to be. And for some other things, it will it takes more time because under certain intensity, you don't have the kind of the creative response. And then there will be more the reaction. So I think it's very important to see that with certain patterns, we learn to work with them more easily. And with some other, it will take longer time anyway. And so to already see that Personally, I think if you see it 15 seconds later, it's fine. It's, it's already better than not seeing it at all. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. 
Now, when you see, okay, so then I'll, I'll, I'll show you. It's because in meditation, you have four stages. The first stage is, is you see yourself at the end of the cycle. Oh, I have done this. Mm, I have done it again. But you see it at the end. Then the, se- the, the second stage is when you see yourself in the middle. That's what you're experiencing at the moment. You see yourself in the middle, and you cannot do anything about it. And so you think, yes, it would be better to be before, because I was not aware of it and only at the end of it. But the fact that you see it in the middle, even if you can't stop it, generally make it less long and less intense. And for me, this is an improvement. Then over time, you see what triggers it. And then you help yourself at the beginning. And then over time, you can actually see it before it begins. But then you need to have more power of creative awareness. So how to do it? One of the ways to do it, if it feels that it's when there is more emotion, is to do two different types of meditation. One is what is called Vedana meditation, which is being aware of the feeling tone of experience. You start to notice more the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling tone of experience because that's where we react. Pleasant, I want more. Unpleasant, I don't want. Neutral, I ignore. And the Buddha says to be more aware of the feeling tone, to be more aware of what goes on there. Contact feeling, what goes on? So then one has to become more aware over time. And then one is less caught in it. One, one sees that more how it works. But the one which I found in this situation more helpful is to do what I call being aware of the feeling sensation in the body, the emotional sensation in the body, and to learn to be with our emotions in a different way. Because generally you have the emotion, you react to it very fast, meaning then generally you have a story around it and you're generally a little destabilized. And so what we have to learn to do, and I think the meditation, the posture can help us over time, is to be here, to be where we feel our feeling, but in a different way. So instead of kind of like being all jittery, just go there, feel it. It's upsetting, it's a bit weird, it's a bit this, it's a bit that. But stay there without naming it. Upset, anger, sadness, whatever. Don't even name it. But just in meditation, not on the moment, in meditation first, trying to just, how does it feel? You're aware of the breath a bit, then you go there. How does it feel? Being aware of its changing nature, moving nature. So in a way, Learning to be with the feeling in a different way. And so you do this in meditation for some time. And then over time, you will see that when something happens, which is a little upsetting, you'll still feel upset. The feeling doesn't change. But you feel around it, you feel more stable. And you will feel more creative so that you can still have the funny feeling, but you won't have such a reaction to it. But it takes time. One has to kind of learn to work with it. And so personally, I would say, don't be frustrated. At times, it will work. And at other times, it won't. Because you're stressed, you're tired, you're too busy, you have this. Generally, there are many contributing factors 
to us not being so creative. And so to accept, hmm, I did not, I was not so creative right now because too much was going on or because I was tired. Just to know, ah, but next time I'll try again. I think the frustration, that's what's not needed, the frustration. Just to see, hmm, yes, it happened. I felt like this. But now it's gone. Now you're sitting here and you're not feeling it. And I hope you have a good night's sleep. <laughs> yes? Speaking of sleep, um, I was wondering when you talked earlier about meditation as nourishment for the organism, um, and you mentioned food, we eat food three times a day and we, we sleep at night, and um, it's very important to our health. Um, how does meditation affect sleep um, in terms of, uh, is it partially a substitute for sleep or is it, um, does it interact with sleep at all in your experience? Or it well, it depends what you do. You see, it depends what you do. If, uh, I mean, when I was in Korea, I would uh, just sleep uh, six hours a night and I was fine. You know, because we just meditated all day. I mean, apart from, you know, doing various things, little work and this, we meditated 10 hours a day. And then I did not really need so much sleep. I mean, six hours was fine, was plenty. But when I tried to do a three-month retreat, partly working and partly meditating, then it did not work. I was so exhausted. I was just, I could not do it. Six hours, I would wake up and, oh, you know, I really, I think, so I think it depends of what one does. You know, on retreat, I think, yes, we, we can sleep a little less. But in daily life, if we work or if we have a family or if we're very occupied, then we actually need energy. You need, we use energy in the day. And so in the, in, at night, we need to re- replenish the energy. So personally, what I would see the meditation actually is as helping us to sleep. Because often the problem we have is that we are a little stressed, we go to sleep, and then we think about what stresses us, and then we can't sleep. And then we feel very tired. And so I think what I would recommend is to really use the meditation, the breath meditation, to just fall asleep, to just kind of go to bed and just watch the breath. And use the breath as a mean not to go into kind of a proliferation, thinking about different things, but just come back to the breath, come back to the body. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, again, back to the breath, back to the body, so you don't kind of start to be upset about not sleeping, which is not going to help. And then in the morning again, just being aware of the breath as you wake up. That's the way I would look at it personally. And I think we have to stop here. Thank you very much. Please have a good night's sleep. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.